Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you. I don't, uh, you must understand, it's hard to follow that incredible young group that just performed for you. So I'm going to do my best. And I want to say, you look beautiful. Um, I, am, uh, I am totally inspired by humanity everywhere I go, and uh, this sea of humanity is beautiful. Um, I want to share a couple of stories with you today. And I, it is my hope that these stories connect with your story. But the stories I'm going to bring to you are stories about two overarching themes and the counter to those themes. The first story I want to bring to you is my own. I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. I am the eldest of 11, born to two immigrant parents, and my mother and father sat when I was 13, and my father said, she doesn't need to go to high school. She's going to be married and have 11 children. She needs to learn to cook, and she needs to learn to clean, and she needs to know how to raise children. But my mother said, if she learns to type, why, by God, at Christmas, she can have a part-time job and help buy those little toys for those children she's going to have. daughter that I am, I captured that vision. Well, that sounded great to me, and I did it. I did just what my parents envisioned for me. And I got on the same path they were on. I married young, I began to have children, I lived in the same poverty that my parents had lived in. I was happy raising children. I thought this was my lot in life. I'm a Roman Catholic, and my own congregation began to call me forth to come to meetings and to participate in conversations. My response to the good priest was always, Father, I'll bake you a cake. I'll come set up the chairs. I'll even, you know, mimeograph some agendas for you. But I don't think you want me there. I don't have much to contribute. Uh, well, this was kind of a crazy priest at a time when we didn't have too many crazy priests, and he kept insisting. And so I began to go to these meetings, and in a period of a few years, I experienced a phenomenal trans uh, transformation. Now, what was happening to me, and why was I so resistant? And let me share that with you. I was alienated. I was alienated from myself. I felt I had nothing to contribute to the world. I, wasn't, I felt I wasn't very smart. I certainly didn't have money. My skin was brown. I already had run into a lot of problems in Chicago because my skin was brown, and I was a woman. What could I contribute to the world? So I felt I had nothing to give. So I felt alienated from myself. I also felt alienated from others. I didn't know my neighbors. I was afraid to know my neighbors. I didn't know the people in the neighborhood. I didn't know the structures, the institutions in the neighborhood. I didn't know the members in my church. I sat in the back pew, like many of us do. And so I was alienated from others. 
last of all, I was alienated from the world. What could I do about poverty? What could I do about hunger? What could I do about bad schools? I already had small children. Where would I send them? I had no money. And so I felt alienated from the world, as many people do. And so I watched soap operas, right? They're, they're still doing well. <laughs> I cooked. I set traps for the rats and the mice in my apartment. I did the best I could. I knew how to sew, so I could sew for my children. I sat in front with them when they played because it wasn't safe for them to be on the street. So I did all of those things. So I was alienated from myself. I thought I had nothing to offer. Alienated from my neighbors because I didn't believe that maybe they felt like I did. And I felt alienated from the world. No power to do a thing. Now, imagine that. Do you meet people who are feeling those three levels of alienation? Have you ever yourself felt that way? Yeah. All right, so that's how I felt. And then I'm introduced to this thing called community organizing. And suddenly, in a, in, in a period of three years, I am forced to build relationships with other people. I am forced to reflect on my own life and on my own value system and what's important to me. I am forced to take action in the public arena and suddenly realize that some of the very public officials that I thought, you know, were horrible people, were actually trying to survive themselves. And that maybe there was an opportunity for me to cut a deal with them. Maybe there was an opportunity for us to be partners or collaborators. Sometimes there is. And I began to change. Now, they never gave me a job. Never gave me a position. Never gave me any money. But they gave me one beautiful thing. They began to make me feel as though maybe I wasn't as stupid as I thought I'd been. And so that alienation began to disappear in my life. And I began to think that this is what's wrong with America. What's the price of alienation? It is the lack of democracy. We are losing democracy in America at record rates because people don't believe they can make a difference. So I want to tell you now story number two. Story number two, you already know. There was a young woman who came and spoke here two years ago. Her name is Erica Fernandez. Do you remember Erica? Well, I want you to tell, I want to tell you, she's in her third year at Stanford. And she is currently in Spain for this semester. She's doing very well. She and I are in constant communication. And I know she told you an incredible story about a liquefied natural gas facility to be built off the coast of Malibu, right? And it was a powerful story. And I wasn't here to hear it, but I've heard her tell the story before. And she talks about courage. She talks about community. She talks about unity. She talks about justice. All of that's true. But I want to give you another side of it. I want to give you the back room. 
the backroom strategy that won that campaign. Because it wasn't the unification of the people that won it, because they were all poor. It wasn't the courage, because I've seen a lot of courage. Doesn't mean they win. What happened is that there were three, let me set the stage, there were three major components to this campaign. Actor number one, BHP Billiton, largest mining company in the world, 40-year agreement to put their facility off the coast of Malibu in military sea space so that, in fact, they could avoid environmental loss. Now, they understood what they stood to gain, but they had to get a lot of support. So they invested $3 million, grants for not-for-profit organizations in that region, contributions for politicians. They went to Washington, made deals with the last administration about where they could put this facility. They understood their self-interest, and they made it their business to understand the self-interest of the community they were going to try to enter. They knew the people individually were powerless, so they were after the institutions. So that's actor number one. They're operating out of power and self-interest. Enter actor number two, the community. I met with them, all eight of them. <laughs> Wonderful people. And they talked to me about justice, fair play. They talked to me about the injustice of everything being dumped in Ventura County. How come everything gets dumped in Ventura County? And they were distressed. And they said, we're going to lose. We've been at this three years. We've sent petitions letters, we've shown up at all the meetings, we've testified, we've done everything, and they're still coming, and now the governor is behind them. Everyone is behind them, we're going to lose. And I asked, well, gee, you've been at this for three years. Uh, wh when is the decision gonna be made? And they said, six weeks. So I had six weeks to figure out what to do. After they'd had three years, of doing what was expected of them, sending petitions, writing letters, and testifying about the truth. So here's what an organizer does. An organizer is an agitator, a trainer, and a strategist. Now, you all operate this way because you, most of you, a lot of you live in this region. You understand power and you understand self-interest, but most people don't. Or they don't act out of it. They're afraid of it. So anyway, what happened ultimately is I walk in and I say, number one, wake up. <laughs> wake up. <laughs> Understand that this is being driven by power and self-interest and what is your self-interest and when are you gonna define it? When are you going to declare what you value and create a strategy that you can say yes to? So you gotta say no to theirs and you've gotta have another one that you can say yes to. Yes. Thirdly, you have to build the power around self-interest 
just like they did, and you got to go up against them. They were scared. They said, we don't like the language. We don't like the attitude. And we sure as heck don't like your aggressiveness. <clears throat> All right. But very quickly, we figured out there were three people going to make the decision. One hated the governor. And the governor was for this project, by the way. He hated the governor, was opposed to, politically to the governor, and would vote against anything the governor put on the table. So we knew he was with us. Then there was a second one who was appointed by the governor. So he was going to do whatever the governor needed and wanted. And thirdly, there was one who wanted to be the governor. <laughs> All right? So now we figure out their self-interest. So how do we satisfy? We already know we got one. How do we satisfy the self-interest of the guy who wants to be governor? His biggest fear is, I'm going to offend labor. So we organized labor. We went after labor and said, what's your self-interest here? And we cut some deals with labor. Labor came out and did a massive press conference. The clergy came out and blessed the ocean. And then we went to Malibu. <laughs> yes, now we go to Malibu. And we say to Malibu, do you know that when you sit in your breakfast nook looking out the window, you're going to see that horrific thing out there in the ocean? Your pristine view is going to be destroyed? <laughs> I mean, give, give me a break. You don't pay $12 million for a breakfast nook, and you got to look out and see that horrible thing. <laughs> Number two, we said, do you know what's going to happen to the whales? What about the air quality? And I hate to mention it, but your property values are going to tank. They said, oh my God. <laughs> now, here's the bad thing. That military sea space, it was off the Malibu coast. So they couldn't put it off the Ventura coast. So what did they do? They had seven miles of pipeline so that the pipes will go under Oxnard and not under Malibu, because it's not in their political interest to offend Malibu any more than they have to. So now we get the map, and we go down the street where that pipe's going to be laid, and we show it to every neighbor and say, have you seen this pipe going under your backyard? Have you seen this pipe going under the playground where your kids play? Have you? And they all go, oh my god, leaks, explosions, exposure. A convergence of self-interest began to come together. <laughs> Now the politicians are saying, wait a minute, I think I've got to take a second look at this. Maybe this is not good for the region after all. Despite that contribution I got, might not be all that good. And so pretty soon all the politicians are aligned with the community. The hearing is held. I already knew they'd won. They didn't know, but I knew they'd, they'd won. They walked in, all 3,000 of them. 500 of them from Malibu, including some movie stars. So we got movie stars. We got that 007 guy sitting next to the strawberry picker, sitting next to Olivia Newton-John. And they're all in favor of stop this thing. 
so it gets stopped. Now they only have to go to the California uh, Coastal Commission, and the Coastal Commission, when they saw my 500 folks walk in, they said, we're with you. We don't even want, we don't even want to hear from you. <laughs> and then the governor had to be turned around, and he had a press conference that I made a mistake. Now, what happens? The strawberry pickers are getting called, calls from Maine saying, are you the group that stopped the LNG? And could you come and train us and teach us? Now, how do you think the strawberry pickers feel? So now their alienation has begun to disappear. They're connected to themselves. They're connected to one another. They're connected to the world. They have figured out that they can win. across America. It's happening everywhere in America. It's happening in Detroit, Michigan, where we forced the state to support a program called Fix It First, because all the transportation dollars are going into sprawl and expansion. And we were saying, fix Detroit and the first surrounding suburbs first before you start expanding us into sprawl. All right? It's happening in the Bay Area. In, in the Bay Area, you know, our good president and my old friend Barack Obama said, be careful where that stimulus money gets spent. You better be watching it. $225 million gets allocated to transit in, in uh, the Bay Area, and immediately it is shifted off into another capital project where we can have a ribbon cutting and some photo ops. And we got into that campaign, and we won back about $155 million, but they hung on to that $70 million. I'm going to tell you why. Because I have to fly into that Oakland airport sometimes, and by God, I have to get on a, a bus called the Airbart. And then I got to go seven minutes, you know, to the, uh, to the BART station so that I can get in downtown. They wanted to build me a ski lift so that I would go from the airport to the bike station in only six minutes. <laughs> and it would only cost half a billion dollars. <laughs> so anyway, we battled that. They called us frivolous. That's what the Metropolitan Transportation Commission called us, frivolous. So we filed a complaint with the Federal Transportation Transit Administration, the federal government, and we won. And that money <laughs> got shifted back. Now, what I'm trying to tell you here is we're living in a world where people are alienated from themselves, from one another, and from the world. And what they've got to begin to understand is decisions, unfortunately, are made around power and self-interest. That's how they're made in Marin County, and that's why Marin County is Marin County. All right? And you know that. Now, I want you to think about a neighborhood. I want you to think about a community that's close to where you live that's brown, or black, or working poor, or immigrant, where you think that people feel alienated. And I can tell you right now that the issues they are working on are the issues you care about. That's why I came. You know, you folks are basically viewed as tree huggers in the world that I live in. Yes. You are. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that is. We've got to change that. Yeah. You are a source of power.
power. You are a source of, you have phenomenal resources. You have incredible expertise. And if we begin to combine what you have with the communities that I work in, I think we can become a force that will be dealt with in America around the things we care about. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Yesterday, a friend of mine that I hadn't seen for a while, I saw her here, and she said, the reason I come is because Bioneers gets it. They understand the relationship between the environment and social, social justice. So whether we're talking about affordable housing, you know, in, in San Diego, in a, one community is the highest level of asthma in the state of California. Do you know why? Mold and roaches. And why is that permitted? Because there's slum landlords who are permitted to behave in that way and politicians don't want to hold them accountable because they want to continue to get contributions from them. People who feel powerless. In Fresno, California, another place, high asthma among children, children who no longer can get health care because they've exasperated all of their benefits for a lifetime on their insurance policy. Why? Pesticides. Now, a lot of these things, you know, if you look at, che at Chevron and Richmond, these are things that, you know, we have to live with. But we've got to negotiate the terms. We've got to negotiate the terms. And right now, we are not engaged in negotiating the terms. And so how do we marry one another? The social justice community and the environmental community and begin to understand that whether it's transportation, whether it's jobs, immigration reform, it's all connected to environmental issues. If you think about the countries that people are coming from and the devastation we're responsible for in their countries, the elimination of rainforests, the elimination of farming, all kinds of things that we are responsible for in those countries. They're here and then they're working in the worst conditions. They're our allies. They are our allies. So in Pittsburgh, battling over transit, in winning $325 million for transit. In St. Louis, we just restored 1,200 bus stops because, again, they were taken away. It's being privatized. Everything is going to highways. Despite what we're facing, this environmental crisis we're facing in the world. So how do we marry one another? You know, how do we start beginning to think, maybe Mary Gonzalez is right that everything is driven by power and self-interest, and by God, that's exactly what I've seen in Marin County and in my own life. And maybe the poor and the working class and the immigrants and the people of color got to get into that conversation too. And maybe they ain't as stupid as I think they are. Maybe they're tough. Maybe they're courageous. Maybe they're ambitious. Maybe they're hardworking. So I come here not to preach to you, but to invite you to bring you into this way of thinking of saying, maybe it's time that we marry these two communities in a real way.
right? So I want you to stop and think for a moment of that community that you're aware of that's close to you that maybe feels alienated from the world, maybe feels alienated from one another, and maybe feels alienated from themselves. And I want you to think about how could you go to that community? How could you talk to the pastors of churches, heads of organizations? And here's what you'd have to do. Not tell them about your issues of environment, but listen to them. And then begin to hook up what they say to you with what you care about. Just like that convergence of, of power came together in Ventura County, right? That convergence of power. How do we create a convergence of power in every community you touch? But it means you're going to have to start hungering for a little power for this movement. I think this is beautiful that we come here, and I'm so inspired when I am here by your work and by the work of pioneers. But we got to ramp it up. In my community, we say, you have to have a dog in the fight. You got to have some skin in the game. So I invite you to join us. I'm going to be here today. I want to thank you all very much. It's been great to talk to you and great to see all of you here. And I want to thank you personally for the incredible commitment you have to our world and to one another. Thank you very much. Thank you.